Mike Sterling has nearly 30 years' experience on ordnance, munitions, and explosive incidents. His combat experience includes the first Gulf War and subsequent permutations of the global war on terror, including Afghanistan, Iraq, and East Africa, as well as fighting Yankee imperialism as Krasnovian Sapper during the two years he spent at the Army National Training Center during the Cold War. With five years as a combat engineer sapper and 18 as a U.S. Army EOD technician well behind him, Mike is now the CEO and owner of ISSI UXO and Consulting, LLC. ISSI is the oldest commercial EOD firm in the United States and conducts everything from conventional unexploded ordnance operations to CBRN response. I have rented lips tonight, folks, so just bear with me. Mike has operated on five continents in conventional and special operations roles while maintaining a general disregard for the Army's mustache grooming standards. Mike's specialties include bombing forensics, technical intelligence, counterterrorism operations, training United States and foreign military forces, and historical munitions like cannonballs and flaming arrows. Mike is certified by the Department of Defense as Master Explosives Ordnance Disposal, or EOD technician. Remember that, because I'm going to be using that once or twice. Department of Defense Technical Intelligence Specialist, Department of Defense, Department of Justice Bombing Forensics Investigator and Instructor, DOD DOE Nuclear Emergency Response Team Member, DOD Chem Bio Weapon Technical Escort Specialist, <gasps> DOD JSIVA Vulnerability Assessor and Red Team Member, Army Master Instructor and Course Developer, FBI as a Hazardous Devices Technician and Instructor, <gasps> OSHA and Hazmat Technician and Trainer. Now, everyone, say that all in one breath because I couldn't. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate, where tonight my special guest is you, guessed it, Robert Mike Sterling, CEO of ISSI UXO and Consulting LLC. Welcome, Mike, to my campfire. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Kate. And you could have left most of that stuff off. Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot blame me. You have to blame your counterpart. And I will. Okay. You know, your resume is impressive, but let me ask you, who is Robert Mike Sterling? So I'm, I'm nobody special, just a guy doing a job, uh, just making things happen. Um, Boom. Yes. Okay. That's all. Mm. That's all. Oh, Okay. That's a pretty impressive resume for just a plain old ordinary guy. So why are you in EOD? So uh, end of the Cold War rolled around and uh, I was in Germany at the end of the Cold War. And then we went over to the first Gulf War and, and finished up there. And then I came back to the States and the big riff was in was in full motion, the reduction in force in the early, early 90s. 
and they were pink slipping everybody. And I was a combat engineer and I was like, man, I could get a job anywhere because, you know, I just got out of the, you know, I just got out of the Gulf and man, I know all kinds of great stuff. So I started looking and then I realized, yeah, um, I'm not ready to do much of anything. And, the, and, and if, it, if I wanted to go out and do, you know, like Merc work or something like that, there's a whole bunch of guys out there that know how to kill people and break their stuff way better than I do. Uh, so I had a real, I had a real moment of clarity there that I had to des- decide, uh oh, um, I'm going to have to do something different here and I got to get a gig. Um, and I was really sick and tired of being a combat engineer that that whole first artillery barrage came and de- coming down around our heads really convinced me that I was in a, in the wrong job. Um, so I, uh, I went ahead and, and said, now, what is it that I really, really like doing? Well, I like blowing stuff up. Well, what do I not like doing? Well, I don't like people shooting at me. All right. Hey, you know what? Those guys that I worked with in Kuwait that, you know, their, their, their facial hair and their, well, their, all their hair was completely out of army regulations and they had their hands in their pockets all the time and nobody could really tell them what to do. And they were blowing stuff up, but they were doing it really, really cool. You know what? That's a good job. So I went over to the uh, 259th EOD there at Fort Irwin and applied into the EOD program. And uh, oddly enough, they they accepted me into the into the the uh, apprenticeship program. Shocking. Yeah, I know. That was what I said, too. Um, Somehow, some way I got a security clearance enough and I made it through my four months of uh, of time as an apprentice. And they wound up sending me to EOD school. And even more shocking is that I actually made it through EOD school and love it. Uh, it's uh, just absolutely love this job. And, and you know the deal. If you if, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day. There you go. So what does an EOD tech really do? Well, um, so up until up until the oh, honestly, I would say up until up until we got into Afghanistan and mostly once we got into Iraq. Nobody really knew who we were, what we did, anything like that. It was just, okay, that's, that's those, those guys over there. Just leave them over there to do their thing because they're weird and you really <laughs> can't, you know, you, you can't talk to them about anything. So, and most of the time they're reeking of, of alcohol. So just, just stay away from those guys. Um, and, and, and up until that point, I don't think anybody really knew what it was that we did, but there is, EOD is... It's not one thing. It is this immense, incredibly vast area of expertise. And it's you're doing everything from conventional munitions. Um, and, and let's face it, we're, we're talking all the way from from the from the 1620s cannonballs that were originally loaded with the first loads of black powder um, rockets things like that, um, all the way to, uh, you know, Excalibur guided, uh, artillery munitions. And then you've got chemical weapons and then you've got biological weapons and you've got nuclear weapons and you've got the technical intelligence field that, um, that works around the globe, picking that stuff up, 
and taking it apart and figuring out what makes it tick um, or trying to get information from the uh, from the manufacturers to so that we know exactly what makes it work the like because uh, let's face it the guys uh, the guys when when bomb disposal first started in 1940 in London uh, during the uh, during the blitz they got their asses handed to them really really bad because they didn't know anything about the the German delay fuses or anything like that that were being used against them so literally it was okay I'm gonna do this boom don't do that okay next <laughs> really, that was the that was the method that they had to use so um, yeah so there's there's a there's a huge area there and then and then the improvised explosive devices and the and the you know the the, the whole forensic side of that. Um, so what you would do normally as an EOD tech is you would take, you would take a, you know, a two to four year period or two to five year period, and you would concentrate in one area. And that was, that was what I was, uh, the area that I was pushed into when I first, uh, or the path that I was pushed into when I first got out of school was you take a, you take a portion, you take a, an area that you like work that area, work it, work it, work it, work it, work it until you become a subject matter expert in it, move on to another area, become a subject matter expert in that as well, move on to your next area, and so on and so forth, become an asset, and then eventually, hopefully retire with, you know, 10 fingers and 10 toes. That seems to be working pretty good for you so far. What? That seems to be working pretty good for you so far. Huh? <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what you believe is really going on in Afghanistan right now? Oh, it's a mess. Um, well, we kind of got that already. Right, right, right. Okay. So what, what I've been able to extrapolate today, um, let's face it, I don't exactly have access to the, to, to Cipernet or JWix anymore. So, um, so I'm not getting the daily bubs. From over there, but uh, what we're looking at is um, broad picture. Everybody's everybody's collapsed down on Kabul, which is a metro area of approximately three million human beings. Pretty sprawling area, pretty good sized, um, largest city in all of Afghanistan. One airport, one runway, so one way in, one way out. Not exactly what I would have chosen. Um, that has been locked down by the Taliban. Um, the particular organization in the Taliban that is holding Kabul is the Haqqani Network. Now, the Haqqani Network is the closest side of the Taliban to both Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Um, matter of fact, they were their primary facilitator for ISIS um, or not ISIS, the primary facilita facilitator for uh, Al-Qaeda operations in Afghanistan uh, the entire time that we've been there. Uh, so the Haqqani network is definitely not to be trusted, and they're the ones that are holding down the streets. Not exactly what I would call a good thing. Um, so today, and, and, and we've been saying this is a terrible security situation, um, you, you've got the city literally coming right up to the walls of the airport. So you have no defense in depth from a defensive standpoint. So um, the Marines and the, the Marines and the paratroopers that are there, man, they are they are in a really, really bad position because 
one, you've got the city coming directly up to your uh, to your perimeter, and then you've got all these civilians right up against your wire, full time. So, uh, if if you haven't uh, if you haven't looked at at how terrorists are able to do their operations, then you've obviously been living under a rock for the last twenty years. Uh, but in this case, we're looking at a situation where um, ISIS, ha- uh, ISIS K in this case, Coruscant, has uh, moved in. Uh, they they moved in, obviously facilitated by the Haqqani network. Uh, they moved in a team, uh, cracked off a uh, suicide vest right up against the gate. Uh, the um, which gate was it that that they did the uh, Abbey Gate? It I was believe. that one over there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they cracked off a cracked off a, a vest at the at the Abbey Gate in really close proximity. It looks like to the gate. Um, immediately after that, they fired off a VBID, a vehicle-borne IED, uh, which is basically a car bomb, over at uh, the uh, the big hotel just across the road, about 200 meters away uh, from from the gate, and that has. Uh, uh, that's been a big jump off point for a lot of Americans, Brits and Aussies uh, going to the Abbey Gate. So they'll collect there and then move over. Um, that initiated a complex attack, which in this case manifested itself uh, with a large amount of small arms fire back and forth. Of course, you've got three different sides there. You've got you've got the you know, the Marines, you've got the Talibs and you've got the Hakan or the, uh, the ISIS guys all firing. Who knows what everybody's firing at? Your guess is as good as mine. Um, we're looking, I believe, now at 12 Marines and one Navy corpsman dead, uh, KIAs on our side. Probably more going to be coming, uh, die of wounds. Uh, I, could not even, I couldn't even speculate how many Afghan civilians or Talibs are dead at this point. But by the video that I was watching... It's gonna be a lot. Um, it looked like a it looked like a slaughterhouse out there today. Do you see any of that coming to our soil? So some of that has come to our soil. Um, you just haven't seen it. Uh, a lot of people have worked really, really hard to go on ahead and put a check on that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, at some point, it's not a question of if; it's a question of when. I do see that eventually happening. Um, we went through several um, several uh, different exercises based upon this, and uh, I, I I see it happening at some point. Uh, it doesn't take it doesn't not take a whole lot of coordination, and it does not take a lot of sophistication to start blowing off suicide vests in malls across America. One of the questions that I frequently get just in the last couple of days is. Why are Afghanis allowed to leave on planes, but American citizens are not? So, um, from what I've seen, um, and of course, you know, this is not, this is not everything. Uh, from what I have seen, it looks an awful lot like what they're doing is they'll take all of the, the Americans that they could, that they have available Get them onto a plane. All the NATO partners and and Westerners, get them onto the plane. If there are spare seats 
fill those seats up with Afghans. Correct. Then the bird goes out. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got empty seats, fill those seats. So why are our, our people still there? Come on, well, Mike, you're supposed to have all the answers. <laughs> yeah, well, that, see, that's the problem with, a, with, with, a, um, with Afghanistan. There are no real answers, and that's, that's what really sucks. And honestly, I think that's what the Brits wound up having to fight three wars to actually find out was, uh, well, and this is, actually, this is actually their fourth incursion into Afghanistan, um, is that there are no real answers, as, especially not truthful answers in Afghanistan. Um, so if you, if you look at this and, and you say, okay, so why are our people there? Well, one, you've got, you've got the Talibs that are, that are you know, running people back and keeping them from getting out. And I don't see that being a whole lot of people. Uh, honestly, I think a whole lot of these Americans should have gotten themselves out of there weeks ago. Oh, absolutely. The, the fact that they hung around this long says an awful lot to me about their situational awareness. Uh, <laughs> Which I yeah. preach about on this show frequently. Right. Yeah. Well, situational awareness is life. And uh, in this case, yeah, these I, I saw a lot of people who just weren't paying attention. And then you've got, of course, you've got the aid workers and you've got uh, you, you, you've, you've got people that they're there for a. They're there for what they feel is a good reason. Okay, I get it. Get ready to get martyred because the Talibs are coming to town and they're going to start cutting heads off um, because that's what they do. So why are they still there? Well, for one, um, we were not our, our, our guys on the ground were not being allowed and are not being allowed to do what the British and French have been doing. And that was go into town, dare the Talibs to pull the trigger. And go get your people, because honestly, that's what they ought to be doing is going out there and getting, our, getting, our, getting our people absolutely. and and absolutely dare them. You know, go ahead, take a shot at I us and we will level you. a yep. block. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm going to stick my tongue on this pole and I triple dog dare you to, to, to say something about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the questions in the chat, which I, I, I can answer, is should Biden be court-martialed due to the Afghanistan issues, as some are suggesting? The president of the United States cannot be court-martialed. Correct. Because he is not under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. He can be impeached, but I doubt very seriously that the people that are um, in our government right now are interested in um, Im impeaching him. Um, there's someone who just says, no, he can be court-martialed. No, he is not a military no. individual. He is the commander-in-chief, but according to the Uniform Code of Military Justice is what they use for court-martialing. Um, because Correct. he's commander-in-chief does not make him um, part of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Right. Now, that being said, um, did you see him on the uh, on the news, his little, his little press, presser about... <gasps> I do not have ago. I do not have television on purpose. What hey, did he do this time? Let me tell you something. Uh, that uh, I, I don't know much about the medical world, but that is a man who is in coronary distress. Um, I, honestly, he's he looked bad. Now, granted, the man is in his eighties, but some of the some of the the pauses that he was taking, he didn't look good to me at. All honestly, it, it almost says it almost says to me just by his body language, this guy might not be president come Monday. 
Um, I mean, he's not looking good at all. I'm surprised he made it this long. Yeah, well, yeah, my my money in the uh, in the pool was was down for June the first, but yeah, you know, we we missed that day. Uh, uh, I lost my money. Yeah. Hate it when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know where Isis K got their bomb training? Their bomb so, training. So Isis K got their bomb training, uh, the same place that the Talibs got their bomb training. So these people, these people flow in and out of organizations very, very freely. Um, and you have to remember that a lot of, uh, a lot of the Talibs, um, and in particular, you know, you, you've got ISIS and you've got, um, all, all the, all the Afghans, they didn't grow up in Afghanistan for the most part. So when we went into there in, in 2001, the vast majority of the Talibs that we were fighting against, um, grew up in the, um, they grew up in the camps the, uh, in Pakistan and in Iran. Um, the vast majority of them uh, were orphans, uh, at least the hardcore types, right? The, not the ones that, you know, okay, you're a farmer. Come on, you're going to be fighting with us this week. Now, the, hard, the hardcores, they all grew up in the madrasas. Um, and that's the, that's the religious schools in Pakistan and in Iran, um, predominantly funded by the Saudis and Qataris. Um, they... Uh, They were only taught in those schools, only taught Sharia. That's it. You get Islamic religious teaching, Hadith, and you get Sharia, Islamic law. That's it. That's all you're getting. It's not like you're getting math. It's not like you're getting anything else. So um, that's, that's it. That's all you're getting. In, in, in these situations. So then, okay, well, who's teaching them this stuff? Well, very, very simple. Um, you, you, you come back around and, uh, we, we had very credible evidence on a, a vast majority of, uh, <laughs> yes, Anderson Cooper could lie guys. It, it happens. Um, had very credible evidence that a large quantity of the bomb making, uh, uh, training, came out of the uh, out of the Pakistani ISI, their their um, secret intelligence service. So, and who taught them? Well, the ISI was trained originally by. That's right, our friends, the CIA. So, uh, yeah, back in the back in the eighties. So we trained the ISI. They trained the Mujahideen. The ISI maintained that that knowledge, and then of course passed a bunch of that over to our friends over in the Talibs and, um, ISIS. So, um, so yeah, ISIS, uh, a, a lot of these guys, they, they grew up there in the tribal territories and, uh, uh well, ISIS K Khorashan, and they are, the, these guys are weird even to the Talibs. So, uh, yeah, plenty, plenty of, but there's plenty of training to go around. I mean, if you look at, uh, Ah, oh, geez, what's that magazine that the that the that uh, uh, the AQ used to push around all the time? Anybody got that one? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody on the chat have an answer to that? Yeah, because it was a it was it was a good magazine, and actually it had quite a bit of solid uh, explosive training in it. We used to we used to pull copies of that thing all the time and uh, go right back to that. But anyway. Angel um, has access to the chats. We don't, so I 
do not know what anybody is asking unless gotcha. Angel puts gotcha. it up on our little chat here. I'll let you know if anybody says anything. Anyway, I hope that answered your question. By the way, the uh, sure. not to cut you off, but the uh, person uh, that uh, on the news uh, was a uh, the these were telling me was a, a commander uh, for the uh, UK uh, came the out UK. on the news. They can it, do it. They can court martial their prime minister because of yeah. their laws. That's what um, they're suggesting that uh, Biden got court martial. That's correct. what they're saying here. Yeah. Um, I I saw that that clip. Um, and uh, speaking with the ACLJ, uh, Jay Seculo, uh, he he came out and he said because of the um, our laws do not allow our commander in chief to be court martialed, but he can be impeached. Yeah, I think it was because, Richard Kemp was the person who came out and said, uh, "Yeah, it's been it's been a day or two, and I think I've slept since then. Maybe." What's okay. that sleep? I, I know. Right? Yeah. What is this sleep you speak of? Yeah, <laughs> I, I just looked it up. It's Inspire magazine. I I I completely forgotten about that. But I've got a lot of TBIs. Everybody, <laughs> give me give me a break, okay? Speaking of TBIs, are there a lot of TBIs in EOD work? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so you, you get TBIs essentially two, well, three different ways. In, For those uh, who do not understand what a TBI is, it's a traumatic brain injury. Right, and uh, the vast majority of ours are blast uh, related, uh, which is very interesting because, and he, here's how a TBI essentially works uh, for the for those that don't know. Um, if you do know, just space out for a couple of seconds, you'll be fine. Um, essentially, your brain is sitting inside of a bucket of water um, surrounded by a bunch of bone called your skull. Um, when you get hit with a with a detonation, uh, the blast wave goes into your head, right? It's, it's going through all of you at the same time. But with your head, it's going in and it essentially is pushing your brain against uh, the backside of the bucket. And uh, as it's traveling through it is in the process of uh well it's snapping little tiny wires inside your brain which uh sometimes the brain can grow those grow those back sometimes it can't and for so. those of you who are medically inclined that that could also be called a coup counter coup of the brain good times but but what would i know okay go ahead all right yeah great um so you get those about three different ways in the eod community one um, standing a little too close to your own detonations. We do it. All right. I'm not going to lie. It happens. Um, and, uh, the one thing that, that, <laughs> yeah, so that makes you cuckoo. Um, so the one thing that, uh, that I did learn is that, uh, TBIs, no matter how small, uh, become cumulative damage uh, as you go. So, you know, you get lots and lots of little tiny ones. Well, that's just the same as getting one real big one. Um, and uh, so then, uh, so you get those. Then you wind up with an IED who that'll wind up, uh, you know, detonating when it's not supposed to. And usually those results in some pretty tasty TBIs. Um, those are never any fun. Uh, and then the other one, one of our alternate jobs in EOD that you wind up doing, uh, whenever I was out with, uh, special forces teams or the like, um, I would wind up filling the role of breacher because, well, you know what, it's a whole lot better for me to have the explosives in my hands and you snake eaters 
to have the guns in your hands. You kill people, you go forward, you go do that kind of stuff, right? I'm just going to handle the explosives. It'll go bang, and then I'll let you go kill people. And that works great. So, um, so you're working as a breacher for them. Well, you're pretty close to some, to some detonations in some fairly, uh, fairly confined spaces. So you get lots of little tiny TBIs when you're doing that. That does not sound like fun. And I have had fun before. Yeah. In light of the ISIS-K attacks at the airport and the hotel near the airport in Afghanistan, what kind of bomb attacks do you think, in your opinion, that we can anticipate in the coming days? So I think there in Kabul, you're going to wind up having far more uh, car, well, the exact same thing. You're going to have cars, you're going to have suicide vests. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody, uh, fires up a couple of mortars and starts dropping mortars into the, into the gate areas or even out onto the airfield. Uh, I would not be surprised if you wind up with some rocket attacks. Uh, they, anybody that's ever been to Afghanistan or Iraq knows it's always, you know, you start hearing that whoosh and yep, here they come. Bum, 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 bum. And everybody's freaking out, going, "Oh no, we're, we we got to get out of here. They're gonna they're gonna hit us again." Now, now they set the timer on that thing twelve hours ago, and we're not going to see any more rockets from this thing. These guys are already in Pakistan. Well, that might be different this time. They may load up one of those twelve round launchers on the back of a to- Toyota uh, Hilux, and just start thumping rockets into the into the airfield. So, um, and you know, it's at, at a certain point. They're going to just do that just for the carnage, just for the panic. And that is going to make life so much more difficult for us. So, yeah, I, I see suicide uh, bombings out on the out on the perimeter. Um, you know, uh, again, vests, V-bids, the like. Yeah, that's going to happen. That's going to continue happening. Um, and I would see it stepping up as we go. Um, and that's that's just for just for the carnage. And I'm here to tell you, ISIS and uh, and the folks from Al-Qaeda, they've always been about the carnage. Um, that's, that oh, is their... that's right. The religion of peace. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, if, if you... If you ignore a large quantity of of the, uh, of the Quran and you just go over and look at just Hadith, then, okay, you can justify it. Because, well, we're infidels after all. Uh, that and their Afghans. And really, what do Afghans like doing more than killing each other? Well, they like killing other people. Um, so, so yeah, if we, uh, if we look at what's going to wind up happening, uh, I think we're going to see a major step up in the amount of attacks happening. Now, this is just step one. You're going to see more and more and more and more. And honestly, I am scared to death for what's going to be happening that last hour that our guys are on the ground. When, when they hit that last hour to get out of there, that's going to get ugly. Yeah. Everybody knows that I'm not a fear monger. Um, that I train out of peace and peace of mind and not out of fear. But do you see this happening on our soil? Which part the suicide bombings? Let's say, piece it together. A little bit of everything. Some of this, maybe some of that. A little bit of this. 
right? So we've already seen we've already seen V bids, and we've seen one suicide bombing in Mexico. And you know how far in Mexico? Oh, that's a long ways away. No, we're talking uh, we're talking in Juarez, just across the border. I mean, literally one of the one of the V bids went off just on the opposite side of the bridge. Um, and if you've ever been to Juarez, you know that that place is just uh, a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, it so, is. Um, There's a lot of human trafficking that goes through there. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Very familiar. So, um, yeah. I mean, they don't call it the beast for nothing. So, um, yeah. Can 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 that very easily pop across the border? Oh yes, absolutely. We can have that stuff here in the U.S. with absolutely no problems. Um, and then you you know if you want to move over and 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 kick that up a notch start having complex attacks where, okay, device goes off. Everybody rolls in. All the first responders get there. And that's when the car bomb goes off. Yeah, that happens. Um, especially when you get somebody pulling triggers at the same time. So when I was teaching public safety bomb technicians, uh, that was one of the, that was one of the scenarios that we dropped on them. And this kid from Atlanta said to me, Oh, come on. That's not like this. This isn't Iraq. That kind of stuff isn't going to happen here. And I had to look at him and say, son, um, you're from Atlanta, right? He said, yes. I said, uh, are you familiar with a gentleman by the name of Eric Robert Rudolph? And, uh, yeah, he put a nice little bomb inside of a, it, right there in a safe area where a whole bunch of your brothers and sisters were parked outside of a, uh, mm -hmm. outside of a, uh, abortion clinic. So it's here, it's happened here. So nobody can say that it, that it isn't and it won't. Is ISIS-K developing domestic explosives and manufacturing or are they obtaining explosives from other nations? So, um, so the explosives, that area is a wash in arms and explosives. You can go to Peshawar, and buy anything that you want short of plutonium. Um, I mean, literally, you go buy there, buy anything you want. It doesn't matter. It depends on how much cash you've got. Um, I don't care if it's euros, pounds, dollars, or, or rubles. You can buy whatever you want to buy. Um, they may not take rupees, but, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so um, I've seen a lot of places where they make their own explosives. And usually if it's bulk explosives, probably for this car bomb, they probably burned out a whole bunch of urea nitrate, I would say, uh, because it's very common over there to be able to make that kind of stuff. But for your vest, more than likely PETN, RDX, general, uh, some kind of a general manufactured explosive, I would say. Do you think that they, they are getting their explosives as well from other countries? Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah, unless of course, unless of course they're getting it there. Uh, but like I said, I mean the tribal areas. So you have to understand about about that area. The area of Waziristan straddles the Afghan and um, and Pakistani border area, and that is uh, if you if you hear anybody talk, you know, during the British period about the Northwest Frontier, um, or these days if you're talking about the tribal zones in in uh, or tribal areas in Pakistan, you're talking about Waziristan. So the Pakistanis own that area. Well, there's virtually no Pakistani military up there because they don't want their guys getting killed. Because, well, let's face it, the place is run by the warlords up there. So that's, that's you know, 
that's where all the madrasas are up there. That's where that's where all the opium gets pushed down into, unless, of course, it's going north into Tajikistan or Uzbekistan. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where that's happening. So, I mean, and and oh, it's a border. It's not a border. It's it's a line on a map. Nobody even really knows where the Durand line actually is. It was drawn in a in in a pretty thick piece of pencil just on a map. So there there is no real border uh, to speak of. It's not like it's not like the you know the the uh, the border between U.S. and Canada where you can come up and see. Okay, there's a barbed wire fence or something like that. Now now that, it doesn't exist. It's a ma- it's a line on a map. Well, just like animals do. Mm, they do crazy, not know borders. Right? right. Madness. So let's do a 360. Okay, a 180. Do you personally still do EOD work? Uh, yes, from time to time. I do escape from the office and go, go do real EOD work, yes. I wish you would have came to the ranch um, at the time that we found our explosives. I really, really wanted to. I really wanted to, and yeah. Well, the army got that one. Sorry. Mm. What a mess. Yeah. It was a huge mess. But oh, anyway, yeah. <clears throat> we digress. How did you start your commercial EOD company? So I did not start this company, and I know I know Jim went and went and threw me under the bus on this one. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> got something for you, buddy. Um, so I got uh, I got out of the army and I spent a couple of years uh, teaching at the at the schoolhouse, teaching bombing forensics. And then when uh, they moved the school from here up to Virginia, um, I wasn't about to take a thirty thousand dollar pay cut to move to a higher rate of uh, uh, cost of living area. So I decided to stay here. And I didn't really have a job, so I was one of the last guys uh, on. And I'm walking out, and I get a phone call from my old boss who says, Hey, I hear you need a job. I said, Yes, Bob, I, I need a job. He goes, Well, come up here and see me. So I went up and saw Bob, and uh, Bob is Bob. Bob's an amazing guy. Bob was uh, uh, Bob is a BD guy, a bomb disposal guy, back before there was such a thing as EOD, um, back during the Korean War. Uh, so he's a little long in the tooth and, uh, he's a hell of a character and he brought me on and, uh, put me to work. And, uh, so I'm out there just swinging a stick, happy as could be first time in my adult life. that I really didn't have a whole heck of a lot of responsibility outside the home. And, uh, well, you know, one thing leads to another, Hey, I need you up here into the office for a couple of hours today. I need a little bit of help. Okay. And hey, I need you back tomorrow and a little more. And a little more and a little becomes a little more. And yeah, uh, next thing I know, I'm working 50 hours a week in the office Good Lord. Um, and I'm not getting out anymore. And uh, one day he slaps me on the back and says, hey, by the way, in case you didn't know, we uh, we voted on it last week. Uh, you're the new vice president of operations. <laughs> I, I said, does that come with a raise? He said, no, get back to work. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bob. So eventually, uh, eventually I'm, I'm working from home and he calls me up one day and he says, Hey, he says, uh, what are you doing? I said, ah, I'm working on this project. He goes, okay. He says, I need you to call the lawyer. All right. What am I going to call the lawyer? He says, uh, he says, I need you to call the lawyer and tell him to get all the paperwork ready for the new owner. Oh, the new owner. 
All right. So I take down this long list of stuff and I said, Bob, if you don't mind me asking, I said, uh, who's the new owner? He says, you are. I said, excuse me. I said, Bob, when is this happening? He says, now click and hung up the phone. Wow. That was a shocker. Mm. Hello, new owner. All three fingers. Yes. <laughs> All three fingers. Yep. Yeah, it was bad. I was like, what? What? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I became the owner of the the oldest EOD company in the in the country. Wow. Yeah. All of a sudden, like. So, who are you going to pass it along to? Oh, I haven't got a clue. Hey, I know I, that one. I, I I've met that person. Yeah. I I. I might, I might force Jim to take it because it, it, because it would give him uh, it would give him a, a stroke. So at least give him something to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, how does the commercial industry uh, create opportunities for veterans? So, um, <clears throat> we we are one of the few in our world in our industry. The vast majority of the companies that started in the unexploded ordnance industry out there munitions remediation essentially to uh which is part of the environmental remediation side most of them have gone by the way most of them were uh were gobbled up by environmental companies um most of them wound up being owned by the ex-wives of eod techs that started them and then eventually by the lawyers of those ex-wives and then they eventually wound up going to environmental companies because well we're eod techs we collect ex-wives so <laughs> right I mean, everybody's got to have a hobby, right? So, I, I guess. So um, we're we're one of the very last ones, and I catch a lot of static for this uh, in the community, and I don't care. I, as a matter of fact, I kind of revel in it now. Um, that uh, yeah, I only for the vast majority of our projects, I only hire former military technicians. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think I can count on one hand the amount of non-EOD technicians that uh, that I've hired since I've been on. Jim's one of them. Um, and, ah, uh, that explains why this was his question. Right, uh, exactly. You know his, he's over there with his head just to swelling. Oh, yeah, 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 pumpkin head. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and did Jim ever tell you how we wound up together? No, do tell. Oh, go for it. So we're at a we're at a big National Association of Ordnance Contractors uh, meeting in Colorado, I think it was. And uh, this weird Ichabod crane looking sucker comes <laughs> walking up on me in his suit that really, really belonged on somebody with about 40 more pounds on their frame. And, um, he comes up and he's talking to me, you know, and, and, you know, he's, I had just seen him and this, uh, this woman up on stage, him and Hillary. And, uh, and, you know, they'd been, they'd been talking about the archeological stuff. So I was like, you know what, I'm kind of intrigued by this whole thing. So we're talking and we're having a few beers and well, eventually, you know, the, the day's operations ended and all the snobs went off to go do their thing. And really nobody likes hanging out with, with, you know, um, uh, environmental engineers they're they're just weird so uh we we hung around we drank a bunch of beers that night and stuff and it was really funny because at one point jim says so mike he says 
Hillary and I have been talking about something. And he says, we really want to stay in close touch with you. I was like, okay, because of UXO stuff. He said, no, he says, um, says we've been looking at you. And he says, we're convinced that your Neanderthal quotient is incredibly high. And we want to (laughs) study. (laughs) And we want to study that. Really, Jim? Really? (laughs) And then and then, of course, you know, I've been friends with Jim for all these years and stuff. And and Jim helps me out. Uh, Jim is has introduced me to a, to the world of bushcrafting and, and uh, you know, all kinds of great stuff. And now I want to go back and I want to, I want to kick all my seer school instructors in the head for teaching me the absolute hardest ways to do things. Um, and uh, it was funny because I took up, uh, I took up uh, Flint and steel and apparently I like just have a natural knack for it and Flint and steel fire starting. Boom. I can have a, I can have a coal in seconds with no real training on it. And of course, Jim says, well, that's because you're closer to the DNA memory on that. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Yeah. 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 So it's the, it's the the Neanderthal part, right? It's yeah. Yeah. Your wife probably enjoys being drug around by your head. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so my, my, my dear wife, uh, is a, uh, is also a former Sergeant and, uh, she, she ain't having none of that. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. I knew I liked her. <laughs> How did the United States get so good at post blast forensics and tracking down bomb builders all over the world? So how did we get good at that? Well, uh, we have to take, we can't take any real credit for that. We, um, we learned our trade from the British. Um, well, the British and the Israelis. So the British in Northern Ireland, uh, they, they really, really got good at, at working this side of it. Uh, the Israelis took a lot of that, those lessons learned, smoothed that out. Um, and then passed it over, passed it back over to us. Um, which is odd if you've ever worked with the Israelis, they are probably the most closed lipped people on the planet. God, I love working with them. I really do. Yeah. (laughs) But then when it, when it came to, when it came to working with fellow, uh, fellow Israeli EOD techs, man, those guys just, diarrhea of the mouth. They gave us everything. (laughs) It was wonderful, man. I mean, they, they would just, and you didn't even have to feed them any booze. They would just give you everything. And because they knew what was coming and they were like, listen, you guys are going to need this stuff. You really, really are. And, and we, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an art. It's not a, it's not a science. Well, okay. There's science that's involved with it, but it's, it's, it's dark arts, man. That's, that's what it comes down to. So there's a billion different things that you've got to know. And, and I mean, what made it significantly easier for us in Iraq and Afghanistan, and this is the most difficult thing to get across to the people here in the United States, especially from the, from the Department of Justice partner organizations that ha- weren't over there. And we're, you know, they're, they're, a lot of their people were never going over there. Now, I work with some absolutely incredible FBI and um, ATF agents over there. They were great. Most of them were former GIs. Uh, most of them were former EOD techs. They knew what was going on on the ground. They were great partners in the investigation side. Wonderful. Showed me a lot of ropes. Um, but man, trying to trying to get it across to their their buddies here in the United States that listen, 
I'm not taking this guy to a grand jury. I need you to get me actionable intelligence so that I can pass it off to my boys in black who are going to go in and kick this guy's door in and put two holes in his head. And, you know, that's just absolutely non-politically correct. And, and yeah, it was like, okay, how about you come over here and spend a couple of weeks over here and get rocketed a few times and see how you feel about it. So, yeah, we got very, very good at, at tracking them, and they could not understand it. But at the same time, we had human intelligence. We had electronic intelligence. <laughs> we were reading their mail left, right, and center. It was beautiful. Um, we, had, we had, of course, all the forensic intelligence. And if you can put all that together, if you can mesh that together, you can get such a wonderful picture. And, and it, it tracks people down just like that. We have an incident um, next door at my neighbor's. So I'm going to ask this, this question. I'm probably going to be missing your answer because I'm going to be gone for about three minutes. Um, can you tell us your most memorable experience? My most memorable experience? Um, well, that's a loaded question right there. That is a very loaded question. You got three minutes. Uh, you know, I... Uh, I had a lot of memorable experiences. I really wish we could kind of narrow that down, Kate. Let's see. Uh, okay. Great memorable experience. Probably one of the absolute... I mean, you get good memorable experiences, you get bad memorable experiences. Probably best memorable experience I had... Uh, I was doing a VIP protection mission for Bill Clinton and we had been in Mexico city for two and a half weeks and we're just partied out. It was, it was a bad show and I'm ready to go home. I'm getting ready to go home and then wind up getting called and bounced forward to Barbados for a week and a half in Barbados in May. And it was amazing and that was probably one of the best months of my entire career it was great dang it uh, and i missed it go ahead yeah no that's okay that, that's okay uh, uh and so so i was talking about you know you, you get good you get good experiences and you get bad experience and that was that was probably one of the best well like you know bad experiences that that are that are good as well Honestly, I saw I saw some of the most incredible people uh, during the Battle of Sadr City in 2008. Um, I saw my guys just doing amazing work, right, and sticking it out there every day. And I, I would have sergeant majors and and stuff going, "Hey, aren't, aren't you going to swap these guys out? Aren't you going to do something?" And I'd say, "Why? Uh, if if they need to go out, they're big boys. If they need to take a knee, they will tell me." And, um, I, I would say that was probably, I, I, I go back to, um, to what was said by, by somebody who is a lot better with words than I was. I was no hero, but I served in a company of heroes. Wow. And yes. I, I had, I had, I had the pleasure to have some really amazing, amazing kids that I worked with on my last tour. Wow. Hold on just a second. Like I said, there's an incident next door. I mean, like blue lights kind of incident? No, that's going to be if, if I have to go outside. Mm. Cause it's, 
It's because cool. I'm, throw two hand grenades at them. They'll be fine. I am not. I am not pretty. Whenever I am uh, mm. disturbed. Um, <clears throat> is there anything advice that you would want to give people about what is going on, not just in Afghanistan but in the world, or and or in our country? Is there any advice that you could give us? So. Yeah, and, I, and and so I listened to a couple of your podcasts previously, and I know that you were, I knew that you were going to ask this, and this is the <laughs> this is the yeah anticipation. This is the no, it's anticipation. So uh, this is the one that I actually got ready for it because I actually put a little bit of thought into this. So what I have to say about that? Yes, I do have advice. Uh, I I I need, if I need to impart into people that especially if you live here in the, in the industrialized West, in the United States in in uh, Australia, Canada, uh, Western Europe, we live in an anomaly in, in the world today. Um, look at the whole of human history, right? Um, we've had it this good in this area for approximately, give or take, 150 years, right? Here in the industrialized West, probably less, but still, um, we, what we are living in is an absolute anomaly of peace and, um, and, and plenty. That could end any time. That bubble pops. It's gonna, it's gonna happen eventually. Um, Living out in the third world, living in, uh, you know, living in, in East and West Africa, um, in, in South Asia, all over the place. I'm here to tell you, the rest of the world does not live the way we live. And they haven't forever. This does not last. And you need to have your head screwed on in order to, in, in order to deal with that. Um. One of the chat questions that Angel is hitting us is, how damaging is that Biden gave the Russians a list of places not to hack and now is asking the Taliban permission to get our people out after he botched the removal? Mm. I think just about anything that man does is damaging. He is the inverse of King Midas from what I'm seeing. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that the guy actually thinks he's trying to help. He's not doing it. Do you really think he be he believes he's trying to help? I think he is deluded enough to think that he actually is trying to help. Uh, you know, I mean, come on, the, the guys the guy's been up there on the hill for over forty years. Yeah, forty seven or forty eight years. I yeah. mean, he's been lying to himself for how long? Well, you know, you can lie to yourself for so long, and eventually, it becomes the truth. That that's true. That is true. Yeah. But it's... how how damaging? Is what um, so I think I think in the in the in the broad broad picture of it all, it's not that damaging. Okay. Um, I mean, let's face it the 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 Talibs nine times out of ten couldn't find couldn't find their own ass with two hands and a flashlight most of the time. Okay. <laughs> but if one American dies, that's damaging. All right. That's damaging. Now, is it world ending? No. Um, but am I looking usually at a at a completely different picture of the whole thing? Yes. So, 
Um, yeah, it's, it's damaging and he's got blood on his hands either way. It doesn't matter. I mean, at this point, I, I really hate to, to use the, the Hillary C sitting up on the Hill saying right. at this point, what difference does it make? Right. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't say that lightly, but in this case, um, you know, unless those people get out over land, they're not getting out. Period. They, they needed to have headed North. Um, Uzbekistan closed their border. Tajikistan has closed their border. Um, the only real way out is Turkmenistan at this point. And that's not going to be easy. I'm sorry. Turkmenistan closed theirs. Tajikistan is open, but yeah, that's, that's the, that's the entire Northern, Northeastern portion of the, of the, of the country. That's a long way to go. They've got to, they've got to pass the Hindu Kush in order to get up there. There's Maybe no way they can do it. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that'd, be, that'd be a hell of an E&E. &E. Um, in this case, best thing that they could do, go to the Panjshir. That's the one thing that absolutely annoys me to death about the mainstream media at this point. Nobody is giving any video time to the, to the Northern Alliance in, up in the Panjshir Valley. That annoys me. Well, I would like to stay and talk longer, um, but number one, we're out of time, and number two, someone's banging on my front door, and that's not very uh, smart because I'm – oh, there's a reporter that torched Biden for also sharing the list of our citizens and allies with the Taliban. How problematic yeah. is that? Yeah, Peter Ducey was, was jacking him up about that earlier today, and that – yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Oh, I heard a round going to the chamber. You have no idea. Uh, what, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, before we go, can you tell us how we can reach you if we have the need? So, uh, of course, uh, ISSI Unexploded or ISSI UXO and Consulting. We have our website at ISSIUXO.net. Um, and then we're also on Facebook. And uh, or you can just, you know, ask Jim. Jim will tell you. That's Jim Christensen, guys. You know, he's he's been on the show once or twice. Well, everyone, this ends the broadcast for us tonight. I want to thank Mike. This has been an honor for sharing my campfire with me. Thank you very much. And I'd I love to have you back on when I'm not having someone bang on my front door. I enjoyed having a beer with you, Kate. No problem. I love that beer. You all know the drill. Train hard and train smart to survive, thrive, and stay alive. And this is Kate signing off until next time. <laughs>